You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's November 8th. Howard and Jean Summers remember their son, Daniel, as a child full of questions and wonder. As a teenager, Daniel was such a big Star Trek fan that he taught himself how to speak Klingon. As a young man, he put his heart into his car and his guitar. He eventually joined the National Guard, looking for direction and a steady paycheck. Daniel was deployed twice to Iraq, first in 2004 and then again in 2007. When he returned home after his second deployment, he found himself fighting another battle against severe depression. The veteran's health system never got Daniel the help he needed, and six years after his second deployment, he shot himself. In his final letter to his family, Daniel wrote that he felt, quote, too trapped in a war to be at peace, too damaged to be at war. He was 30 years old. More than 6,000 U.S. veterans die by suicide every year. That's more than the total number of combat deaths in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. As we enter Veterans Day weekend, we're reflecting on a decade of RAND research that has sought to focus the national conversation about suicide on solutions that work. The overwhelming message? We could do more to save the lives of veterans like Daniel. Here's RAND's Terry Tenelian, who leads RAND research projects that identify ways to address this problem. To address the problem of suicide among the veteran population, I recommend that we implement and enforce a zero-tolerance policy against sexual harassment and assault within the military and veteran community. We know that military sexual trauma is a known risk factor for suicide, and we must decrease exposure to this culture while people are in uniform and when they visit the VA. Second, we need to address work-related stress. There are a large number of veterans who are in the federal workforce, and we know that work-related stress can lead to poor sleep and use of alcohol and drugs, which are also risk factors for suicide. Third, we need to expand and improve the U.S. healthcare system. We need to ensure that we have enough mental health professionals, and we need to ensure that they are delivering evidence-based approaches for mental health problems. Treatment can work if providers deliver the right course. We need to ensure that parity is fully implemented and enforced to ensure that we are providing that workforce with the skills and capabilities that they need to attend to the population's needs. And finally, we need to restrict access to firearms among veterans who are at risk for suicide. 70% of veterans die by a firearm, and we need to ensure that we restrict access to these lethal means among those who are at highest risk. You can learn more about how to save veterans from suicide and read more of Daniel's story at RAND.org. An estimated 30% of the global population is considered to be physically inactive, and with rates of activity going down, the costs to humankind are going up. RAND researchers examined how a more active population could provide an economic boost. They found that increasing current activity levels could expand the global GDP by 138 to 338 billion dollars by 2025. By 2050, these gains could be as high as 760 billion dollars. These increases appear to come from higher productivity at work, lower rates of mortality, and fewer sick days. 
So what could be done to increase physical activity and eventually reap these economic benefits? Changing behaviors and attitudes will be important. Another key is to create community and workplace environments that encourage people to be more active. One in every 38 adults in America is in prison, in jail, on probation, or on parole. As a group, they face crushing rates of unemployment, homelessness, and health problems. Rand experts studied what it would take to support these individuals at that pivotal moment when they walk free. The researchers relied on the expertise of people who know the system from the inside, the former inmates themselves. A working group of more than 50 men and women who had been incarcerated were part of the RAND study. Many reported experiencing homelessness and unemployment after being released. They described daily hurdles, from housing troubles to prescriptions that fell through the cracks to trying to move forward without any job prospects. Eventually, the group identified four priorities that they felt could help change their lives. First, a better pre-release process. This could help connect people with housing, health care, and other services before they get out of prison. Second, one-stop service hubs in communities could offer everything from employment help to family services to warm showers. Third, affordable, safe housing that's close to family and work. And fourth, more long-term mentoring and support for the overwhelming, exhausting process of re-entering society. Without the input of people who had actually lived through this difficult experience, our researchers may not have been able to gather such valuable insights, insights that could help lead to more returning citizens getting the help they need at the time when they need it most. One of the world's leading video game companies, Activision Blizzard, was recently drawn into the political controversy surrounding the Hong Kong protests. The company suspended a player who called for Hong Kong's liberation during one of its live-streamed games. Afterward, angry gamers were quick to respond, accusing the company of compromising its ethics to maintain positive relations with Chinese regulators and shareholders. They also posted negative reviews and downvoted Blizzard's apps and games, which include popular titles like World of Warcraft and Overwatch. The gamers were trying to compromise the channels that Blizzard and other companies use to monetize their intellectual property. Blizzard customers also found creative ways to use that intellectual property to voice their displeasure. They altered popular video game characters to appear to support the Hong Kong protests. And they even used a character who happens to transform into a tank to reenact the iconic 1989 Tiananmen Square protest. According to Rand Sale Lilly, companies like Blizzard are in a precarious position. Their digital products are intertwined with easy-to-use tools of protest, computers, and phones. Blizzard has learned that when world events collide with its marketing efforts, the company may slide down a slippery path to crisis management mode. Lilly warns that other companies could find themselves plunged into similar situations. If the next People's March on Tiananmen Square is a digital one, he says, then Fortune 500 companies could be dragged along for the ride. There may have been a time when military planners hoped that artificial intelligence could deliver an omniscient view of everything happening on the battlefield. But, rather than lifting the fog of war, AI could lead to the creation of fog-of-war machines, 
enabling new kinds of military deception. That's according to Rand's Edward Geist and Marjorie Blumenthal. What's new is that there are now machine learning systems that can optimize deception. One example that you've probably seen or read about is deepfakes, realistic photos and images, often of celebrities or public figures, that are used to perpetrate hoaxes or spread misinformation online. Such techniques could eventually be used to sow doubt and confusion in the military context too. In fact, AI could steer us toward a military environment that's dominated by deception, one where countries can no longer gauge the balance between offense and defense. As Geist and Blumenthal put it, that's a formula for a more jittery world. Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. We'll see you next week.